You're listening to the Morrowology Podcast. It's all about Morrow County, Ohio. Morrow County, Ohio is my home. I'm really glad I stayed till the end for this one. In the studio today is your hosts, Mike Wilson and Joey Powell. Mm, Mike Amos! Hi, Joe. How are you, good sir? Oh, I'm, I'm doing swell. Mike Amos, Mikey Miss, Mikey Man, the Mikester. All the above. All right. I've been called worse. It's true. You have, and I think I've called you some of those. You have. So, good sir, another week has come and gone, and uh, what is up with you? What's be up, homie? (laughs) Home skillet. We're we're in Morrow County, remember? That's right. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we talk about some of the upcoming things at the... uh, Mar- with the Morrow County Historical Society. I can't even say it. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you better get that out. because Our gonna... guest brought uh, brought us all candy bars. I ate it, and I think some of it's still in my throat. But you'll find out who that special guest is here in just a little bit. I know who it is. So do I. He's sitting right in front of us. Uh, August, uh, there's going to be a new exhibit in the uh, History Center of Tools and Kitchen ga- Gadgets. Um. The exhibit music featuring over there and musical instruments is still in place down there. Remember that the History Center is open on Sunday afternoons from 2 to 4. And this weekend will still be open, but we'll have the log house open down at the um, farm days at the um, Morrow County Fairgrounds as well. And we're into August, Mikey. Yes, we are. Um, there's going to be a car show downtown Mount Gilead on the 14th from six to eight. We will be open at the history center then and community days on the 15th. Well, I think we need to back up first. Cause I think we might've skipped a couple things here. Oh, we might've, yeah, we I might, well, hold, sure on, hold, we on, hold share. on, hold on. I know what you're going to share. Okay, but I have strict orders. I know you have those strict orders from me. Share this. <laughs> on August 8th, is this the event you were talking about? That's one of them. And also on the 24th, uh-huh. uh, Robin Brucker will be having one of her fabulous architecture walks through downtown Mount Gilead. They'll start at 7 p.m. Uh, you're asked to arrive 15 minutes before that. Um, a $5 um, donation is, is asked as well to help uh, with the uh, things going on at the Morrow County History Center and our other two locations. That's right, and it's a 90-minute tour going through eight blocks of the the Mount Gilead Space Here Walking Tour will introduce the various styles of architecture in Mount Gilead and the stories behind some of the buildings. And there's a wide variety of architectural um, uh, types in downtown Mount Gilead, and you're going to find out about that if you come. So uh, keep that in mind. August 8th, as well as August 24th. So if you hear a phone ringing, it would be Mike's. <laughs> I put it down on the floor. Um, Our guest turned his phone off. Well, yes, he's just that polite. <laughs> and the Morrow County Historical Society will be putting up a display at the Junior Fair building during the Morrow County Fair, as well as having the Garverick Log House open at the fairgrounds. And at the Log House, we'll be featuring Belgium Horse Ribbons. So um, that's something to look forward to in the month of August. Also going on this week is at Bunker's Mill Winery. That place, I tell you what, they've got so much going on. Yeah, they do. There. Rick and Jerry, they, they keep that place hopping. This weekend is Steamtown Road with 
Preston Cooper at the Bunkers Mill Winery in Cardington. That's at 102 East Main Street in Cardington at The Light. The only light in Cardington. Yes, it is. And uh, that's going to start at 6 p.m. Go and get a, uh, I think, is it a flight? I think it's a flight of wine. And you can sample, uh, you know, multiples. I recommend the Blue Denim. That's pretty good. Uh, Pirate Sale is another one that's really good. And, of course, their Peach. Uh, peach wine is really good as well. Well, uh, Joey, on yes. that on that note, you you wine a little wine a little bit too. So, and folks, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but Mike. Oh, that's my mic. That's wrong. All right, Mike is no longer with us um, on the podcast. It'll be just me. I'm uh, still here. I turned your mic off. Um, coming up this week, I saw the other thing. Where was it? It was just here. Nope, sorry. It was for the fair. My bad. That was for the fair. And then my family reunion, which uh, most of you don't care about. But uh, let's see here. Maringo, American Legion, Thursday night bingo is is August 3rd. That's this Thursday at 4.30 p.m. They also have multiple others. The first game starts at 4.30. That's going to be... Um, I'm sorry, the first game starts at 6.30. Doors open at 4.30 they also have food available uh, and pull tabs. I can remember when I finally was 18 going with Memo and Aunt Tammy to go to play bingo. And my grandmother, Memo, would string together, I don't know, 20, 25 cards, and they would be taped together. So you had the individual little – and both of you were looking at me like I'm crazy, but they would tape together the sheets, and there would be like nine on a sheet, six on a sheet. They'd tape them all together, and then they would daub them. And how in the world they kept up, <laughs> they, but they would. They would just, did did they she would, have mascots? A lot of people who play bingo have little mascots. Um, I think there was a troll okay. that she had in the bag. But I can remember when I was younger, when we would go to Memo and Pepple's house, we would color with the, with the bingo daubers. Because they, you know, oh, we don't have any crayons because we broke them last time we were there or whatever. So we colored with the bingo daubers. We'd have bingo ink everywhere. It was... A hot mess, but yeah, some of the you know some of those fun memories that you have, right? Um, let's see here, Chester, Chester Town Hall. This is going to be the Chesterville Arts Series live performances. They've got those coming up. The next one is going to be the twelfth at seven p.m. here in August, and these are free in the summer. They're about thirty to forty-five minute um, in length shows. And it looks like this one is going to be Before the Days of Fast Food, Cell Phones, and Internet, a Family Picnic. It's 1957 in the month of June. In her kitchen, Mabel is preparing for a family picnic. With food, uh, what food should she take? And where did she put that picnic hamper and ice chest? She must remember to jot down some notes on that article that she read from her, the, from her latest magazine. Now... Let's see what other hot topics for conversation she can steer the entire family into engaging in. Uh, let's see. It looks like this is going to be a pretty good, pretty cool little story, I think. Uh, and this is just one of several that they've had going on this summer. And then coming up on the 7th and 8th is going to be trap auditions for Mar Little Theater at August 7th and 8th at 6 p.m., at Capitol Theater in Mount Gilead here, across the street from the Historical Society's podcast studio, Studio One. Dun, dun. Anyway, um, 
We will be having auditions for Trap. It's a cool little show with audience participation. It's being directed by Alita Jones. And auditions will take place on the 7th and 8th. And that show is going to take the stage on September 29th, 30th, and October 1st. The location of the show has yet to be determined. Um, but I will find a place to put that show on. It's going to be pretty cool. It's a, an unusual show. We've never done anything like this before. And then just before that show takes the stage, we're going to hold auditions for It's a Wonderful Life. And hopefully two gentlemen in this room will both audition for that show um, because we need some men. Uh, you two could actually be, be Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie? Yeah, and actually, hey, so there's a, there was a conversation. I'm going to have to mute his mic again. Um, there was a conversation that I heard about there's a potential that Bert and Ernie may have been based off of these characters from the TV or from the uh, the movie with Jimmy Stewart. So um, I can safely tell you that Jimmy Stewart will not be in our production. That would make it really interesting. Um, but uh, it's going to be a good show, and that'll be taking the stage the weekend before Thanksgiving. So. All right, Mikey, that's all I got. What do you got? Well, I, this is an important one. We do have an issue one to vote on this year. Oh, yes. On August 8th. And uh, the Board of Elections will have some special hours that you can vote ahead of time. Uh, I'm going to read those off here. Uh, Wednesday through Friday, August 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, they will be open from 7.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. Saturday, August 5th, they will be open 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And Sunday, August 6th, they're going to be open from 1 p.m., to 5 p.m. So if you uh, can't make it to the polls, maybe you can make it down there one of those times. It's important that we all vote. Uh, it's, uh, if you don't vote, I don't want to hear you complain. That's right, and we've said that before. Yes. If you don't voice your opinion by voting, you do not have an opinion. So, you know, just like trash, keep it to yourself. Uh, here's another one. The Humane Society of Morrow County will have its annual low-cost rabies and microchip clinic. Oh, good. We can finally get Mike done. This is serious, guys. Come on. Well, okay. I, I thought it was serious. <laughs> That'll be on Saturday. <laughs> Thank you. That'll be on Saturday, August 12th from 9 to 4.30 p.m. at the Big Walnut Joint Fire District in Marengo. And it's open to all pets. Uh, no county residency requirements. And all podcast hosts. Yep. Podcast? Podcast. I, okay. <clears throat> Come on, Mom, Pa Kettle. So, um, also, August 5th, Johnsville Area Produce Market will be held at the North Woodbury Alliance Church. Uh, again, August 5th, 11 a.m. 11 a.m. to noon at the North Alliance, North Woodbury Alliance Church. And that's at 6385 State Route 314, Mount Gilead. It says to bring a photo ID and some income requirements and they do run on the honor system, we turn no one away. Nice. So there are some others in, in the uh, county as well. In the future, we'll get some of those on here too to let people know um, if they're in need, where they can go to get food. That's and right. there's something going on at the theater for kids that's sponsored by the Mount Gallery Public Library. No. You want, no? That series is over. That series is last over. Last Thursday was the last one. This week is the new movie. Okay. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. 
Okay. And that is going to be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll have it for two weeks, but starting this week, it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday and Saturday, it's going to be 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. On Sunday, 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. All right. I'm a little behind on that, but okay. <laughs> oh, my. Um, also, Michael Vance has a... Um, has something here on Facebook. Would you or someone you know in Crawford, Marion, or Morrow County that is 55 years old or older be interested in a special job training position to learn a variety of new job skills and all the time be paid while learning? The American Red Cross is currently looking for local individuals that would qualify for the Senior Community Service Employment Program. Eligible applicants would receive paid training around 20 hours a week for an extended training period gain valuable skills and experience, and build self-confidence. So if you want to see more about that, go to Facebook, um, What's Happening in Morrow County page, and all the details are right there. You must be 55 years of age or older. I qualify. Mike Vance, I have two people in the room with me who qualify for that. <laughs> well, we, uh, I guess you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be in touch, Ike. Okay. Uh, I, I want to share one other thing, and that is the um, Mount Gilead pool hours, Monday through Saturday, 12 p.m. to 8 p.m., Sunday, 1 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, admission, adults 18 and older, $5. Youth, uh, 3 to 17 years, $4. Infants are free, up to three. So you can get up get three up to three infants. No, that's, that's their... Um, admission <laughs> it doesn't cost wow mike by the way i believe and fridays are free by the way i was just gonna say i believe fridays are still free and, and you can get season passes you can look online find that information as well i do want to call out that um i did notice that the sro set up mount gilead sro set up an sro day at the pool and I believe they brought in some pizza and stuff like that to get the kids in and have uh, enjoy the day. So that is a pretty cool program that is working very well, it seems like. And I know that this guy sometimes listens to the podcast from what I've heard or maybe uh, has an interest in it. But Vince Brown, happy birthday, Vince Brown. Hey, my class president. Hey, Vince, if you're listening, happy birthday. And um, I think... Do you have anything else? Because I don't have anything else. I think that's all I have for today. All right. Well, let's flash back. The flashback is brought to you by the Morrow County Historical Society. Now open every Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. Stop in and learn about Morrow County's past. All right, Mikey. So this week is going to be a little bit longer here because we've got a special treat yeah, in the I'll flashback. Keep, we'll so, keep uh, the uh, flashback a little bit shorter. But, you know, there have been several plane crashes in Morrow County over the years. I know of two off the top of my head. Okay, and we might get to those later. This is going to be a two, maybe three-parter because we have several to cover. But our friend Stan Sype. Like are we like the Bermuda Triangle for airplanes here? Yeah, it could be. Our friend Stan Seip has put this information together, and I'm going to read it just as he, he has written it. So we're going to talk about, uh, actually, this book he put together, he titled, Airplanes Crash Here 2. So um, this first one happened back in the 1920s. It is known that an airplane can fall to earth anytime, anywhere. 
at least 28 times ever since the late 1920s that it, that anywhere has been here in Morrow County, Ohio. Beginning in the 1940s, Morrow County has averaged two airplane crashes per decade. As of 2019, a total of 11 people have died in those accidents, and nearly a score have been injured. Fortunately, all crashes have occurred away from inhabited areas. No one on the ground has been injured or killed. Airplanes have crashed in 14 of the county's townships. Morrow County Airport, built on Gilead Township Road 126 in 1968, has been the scene of several incidents involving an aircraft. What follows are the stories of seven fatal incidents involving aircraft. And we're going to cover some of those today, and then I think we're going to carry this in next week. But the first documented aircraft accident in Morrow County occurred on July 14, 1928, in a field just north of Iberia in Washington Township. An aviator for the Ohio Airways Corporation was flying a new biplane from Cincinnati to Cleveland on this Saturday when his engine suddenly stalled at an altitude of, of 1,000 feet. Although the Waco 10 airship dropped from the sky, the pilot managed to set it down in a clearing. High grass and marshlands in the field caused the plane to flip upside down, however. The aviator was able to crawl from the wreckage with only sprained wrist. That was the first known aircraft crash in Morrow County. Death rained from the sky south of Cardington on the afternoon of July 24, 1941. Around 3 p.m., a military bomber plunged into a hayfield next to U.S. 42. Two pilots, the only occupants of the ship, were decapitated upon impact. The resulting fire burned their bodies beyond recognition. Between the farmers in the neighboring neighborhood busying themselves with the harvest, motorists in the area, and other local residents, there were many who witnessed the incident. All reported that the plane experienced engine trouble just prior to its plummet to the ground. It was variously estimated that the bomber crashed from an altitude of 2,500 feet. The aircraft nosedived into a field and crashed with such force that both engines were buried deep underground. Witnesses stated that one of the two engines was roaring prior to impact. According to a spokesman, at Wright Field near Dayton, from where the ill-fated flight had begun just 40 minutes before, the pilot had radioed the control tower there and reported that the plane was losing power and then was going into a nosedive. The 18-ton Lockheed Hudson bomber, newly built in California, was flying in a northeasterly direction destined for Montreal, Canada. There, it would be turned over to pilots of the Royal Air Force who would fly it on to England where it would be used in the defense of Great Britain in its war with Germany. The doomed aircraft was part of the Lend-Lease program between the United States and Great Britain enacted earlier in 1941. Military aircraft had been flying over the vicinity of Cardington on a regular basis for a few months. This crash proved that Morrow County was on the Royal Air Force ferry route between Dayton and Canada. Fire departments from Cardington and Ashley responded to the scene, but there was little they could do. The airplane's fuel burned with uh, ferocity for two hours, and periodic explosions blew white, hot aluminum aircraft parts in all directions. 
A local ambulance was on the scene, but there were no live victims to tend to. The crash debris field was roped off by law enforcement personnel. Still, some bystanders helped themselves to small pieces of the wreckage as souvenirs. Smoke from the burning fuel was visible for miles. Radio reports of the crash brought large numbers of onlookers to the scene. Vehicles were parked along U.S. Route 42 for two miles on either side of the crash site. It was noted that feminine attire in this crowd ranged from housecoats to slacks, shorts, and dresses. Although the military had the wreckage cleared by Saturday noon, nearly 48 hours after the accident, the scene continued to draw the curious as late as Sunday evening. At a time when they were not as common as they are today, nearly 60 long-distance phone calls were placed through the Cardington Village switchboard within 24 hours of the plane crash, mostly by military officials, newspaper reporters, and law enforcement officers. The crash marked the first time that a news photo taken in the Cardington area was transmitted by wire to daily newspapers nationwide. In addition to this picture, the Associated Press uh, wire photo service used a a photograph of the airplane crash taken shortly after it occurred. A Springfield motorist on U.S. Route 42 traveling with a camera witnessed the crash and snapped a few photos. The man then drove on to Mansfield and sold them to the daily newspaper there. Two small American flags were placed at the crash site on the west side of U.S. Route 42 between Morrow County Road 149 and Westfield Township Road 152 by a soldier two days after the accident. At approximately the same time as the Lockheed bomber crash south of Cardington, a Douglas DC-3 military transport plane crashed on takeoff at Wright Field near Dayton. Witnesses stated that one of the DC-3's engines had caught fire and fell from the aircraft just as it has gone just as it had gone airborne. Two officers and five enlisted men escaped from the wreckage. Like the Lockheed bomber that went down outside of Cardington, the DC-3 was destined for Montreal for delivery to the Royal Air Force. Army Air Force officials started an inquiry into the crash of both planes. The day before the Cardington crash, a military airplane had gone down at the Newark Airport in Licking County. No one was injured in that incident. In the July 24, 1941 incident southwest of Cardington was the first fatal airplane crash to occur in Mara County, but it would not be the last. We'll go into some more next week. Ooh, s'mores. <laughs> no, nothing. All right, well, I think it is time to introduce our special guest. It is none other than the most impressive, the most secretive, the most Kevin Evans of them all. Hi, Kevin. Well, good evening. Hey, thank you guys for having me on your pod show. Make sure you stay right up on that mic so we Hello. can get you. There you go. You're, you're right there. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. So what are we going to talk about? Well, one of my favorite topics, Dr. Nathan Tucker. Dr. Tucker came to Mount Gilead in 1866 to be a doctor here in the town. The entire Tucker family actually came. There was his his parents and a lot of his siblings as well. And we'll get into all of that later. But he's as he's practicing medicine, he starts to suffer from asthma. And so he actually practices 
and experiments on his own self. And by the time he's 52, he has perfected his asthma-specific medicine. And he starts selling it. And the nice thing back then was you didn't have to go to a pharmacy. You just um, wrote him a letter, told him what your symptoms were. He sent you a letter back saying, hey, for $12.50, I'll send you the kit. And so you would get the case. You would have an atomizer, three ounces of the asthma-specific medicine, and the little booklet that explained everything about it. So even though as he started off as a general physician in Mount Gilead, um, he became quite successful. And by 1900, he built his laboratory down at the South Light in Mount Gilead. Um, You know it as the clinic today. It was Snyder's Funeral Home before that. But in 1900, he built his laboratory. And from there, he distributed his medicine all over the world. And um, in one of the booklets, it says that he has treated presidents, vice presidents, Supreme Court justices. 350 doctors recommend people to come see him. It doesn't list who, though, right? No, it does not. Unfortunately. Probably. Even then, they had kind of their own HIPAA standards. (laughs) So, yes. So, by 1910, he's 73 years old, so he turns the business over to one of his nephews, W.B. Robinson, who was uh, also a local physician. He had practiced and gone to school at the Cincinnati Medical College. And W.B., Robinson takes over, and he is in charge of the business until he turns it over to his son, Gerard Robinson. And um, in July of 1946, the last doctor that joins the practice is Dr. Philip Benton um, when he gets out of the Navy, and he had gone to Columbia University. So um, they were so successful that his brother, Augustus Q. Tucker, who had actually started HPM out in Edison. He takes on and he takes over the European operation for the Tucker Laboratory. And then it is run by him and his son, Dr. Walter Tucker. And... So, wow, that Tucker family, they're really really into businesses and running business. That's kind of impressive. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And, and there was a lot of reciprocation. Like, so Dr. Tucker, Dr. Robinson, they were all on the directors out at HPM as well. So yeah, they went back and forth, but Dr. Tucker, he was also on, on the board of all three banks in Mount Gilead. Um, and then just kind of going back. So when he, he in, 19, in 1878, he marries Elvira Cooper Lonius, who is a widow here in Mount Gilead. He's 40 years old. 1880, they had their only son, Homer, but unfortunately he dies as an infant. Oh. So that is why um, the Robinson family is his sister's son. So, you know, it's all kept in the family. So when Dr. Tucker dies in 1920... He's worth $1.1 million, probably the first millionaire, maybe one of the most successful um, citizens in Morrow County, Hmm. definitely Mount Gilead. So um, it was interesting. When he dies, he leaves his widow $50,000, and the rest of the business and all of his assets are split up between his siblings. And the business he leaves to his, his 
late brother, Augustus Tucker, who had already died five years earlier. And so his son, Walter, um, then rents the business over. He gets the Eastern Hemisphere, and then the Mount Gilead location is the only location that's allowed to operate in in the United States. Now, wow. kind of interesting, when W.B. Robinson retires and he turns it over to his son, Gerard Robinson, um, Gerard Robinson was also a pilot. And so your earlier story was kind of um, interesting because Dr. Robinson and William Stewart had taken off from the Marion Airport September 1959, and they went up to Windsor, Ontario, Canada, for some business with HPM. Unfortunately, on the way home, um, they ran into some trouble in Cary, Ohio, and their plane went down and they were both killed. So with that... What a depressing day. (laughs) Yeah, because with that, um, the last remaining um, Robinson, Rudolph Robinson out of um, Mississippi, he's like, yeah, I want nothing to do with this business. So he shuts it down and he sells it to Northfield Laboratories out of Illinois. And they move all of the operations to Illinois. And they change the name from asthma specific to asthma cane. But unfortunately, um, for whatever reason, by August of 1962, they've sent a letter to all of the patients stating that they no longer are going to continue to distribute the asthma medicine. Hmm. Kind of makes you wonder what they repurposed it for. Exactly. Why did they want it if they weren't going to distribute it anymore? I have no idea. But they they sold the building then to Snyder's Funeral Home, Mm -hmm. and then they opened Snyder's Funeral Home in 1962, and they were at that location until 2015 when they went down to the one location up at the Craven Chapel. Now, you did not discuss the ingredients of of his product. Well, asthma specific had cocaine in it. All the good stuff does, even the original Coke, right? Right, exactly. I mean Coca-Cola, not Coke. (laughs) So, and and over the years, um, that caused him a lot of problems. In 1910, there there was a lawsuit, and the FDA wanted him to quit using the word specific. The word specific in medical terms meant that it was a cure, and of course there is no cure for asthma, but um, the Columbus District Courts actually upheld in favor of the Tucker Laboratories that they could continue using the word specific due to the history and success of the medication Hmm. but then also in 1910 there was also um, the federal court required them to put cocaine on the labeling of the medication but the fda was also at that same time fighting to have cocaine removed from it because they kept testing samples of it and they could find no trace of cocaine but kind of like when you make a rum cake and the alcohol cooks out of it that was the reason that they were not able to find any of the cocaine um, in the sampling. So the well, their testing back then was not like it is our, like it is now. Oh, probably. You're right. Absolutely. So, yes. And then, actually, in 1939, um, there had been a law that said that you could no longer dispense medication through the mail. And the congressman, Frederick C. Smith who was not only our congressman, but it was also a doctor out of Marion, Ohio. He actually went to bat um, before the U.S. House, and he was trying to say, give them an exemption and allow them to continue to distribute their medication through the mail. 
However, in the end, um, there were some anti-Tucker congressmen that um, made that that motion fail. Hmm. So, yeah. And Tucker was quite a philanthropist in Mount Gilead. I had a hard time saying that word. But he liked, liked to help do things in the community. Absolutely. First of all, after he built his laboratory, he also built the majority of the south end of Mount Gilead. He had the Tucker Flats across the street. A lot of those brick residents down um, South Main Street were also built by him because there were a number of patients who would come to Morrow County to be treated by him. He also built the building that we know today as Joe's Hardware. Um, And in addition, so the first floor was for businesses. Oh, I know where this is going. But the second floor was for um, more patients to to stay. But then the third floor um, is where they had the Tokay Club, which he was a member of as well. It started in 1899, kind of a private club. but um, And Tokay is an Indian word for... Just the thing. And uh, the First Baptist Church here in Mount Gilead will be celebrating their 170th anniversary this weekend. That is correct. They are celebrating. And he had some dealings with the building of that building. Absolutely. He did. Yes, actually, um, July 2nd, 1907, um, Nathan Tucker, Walter Emerson, and Sam Wilson they were directed to um, be in charge of the construction of the First Baptist Church. The cost was $26,437, and he contributed half of that. Wow. And not only that, he was an early organ donor. Um, yes, he also, um, I do believe, um, financed um, the installation of their, their pipe organ there at the First Baptist Church. Huh. Wow. Uh, it was a terrible joke by, by Mike, but very interesting. The joke or Kevin's presentation? Kevin's presentation. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, interestingly, he went to the First Baptist Church, but his wife went across the street to the Presbyterian Church. So oh, one of those so, houses divided like Michigan, Ohio State. Correct. Yes, <laughs> something like that, yeah. So, yeah, so the Baptist Church did his funeral. But when her funeral was done, it was done by both the minister of the Presbyterian and the Baptist Church. Interesting. Huh. Well, you got any more uh, interesting nuggets in there about uh, Dr. Tucker? Well, I will tell you that when um, I had mentioned to you that when he passed away, he left the majority of his fortune to his side of the family. Nine months later, when Mrs. Tucker passes away, she leaves her fortune to her side of the family. One of the items that she left to her niece and nephew was um, the paper copy of the formula for the asthma specific. So, in 1929, the niece and nephew decide to sell um, the formula to a company out of California, R.P. Gage. And so, Amos Jago, who was her nephew, who was also a photographer here in Mount Gilead, um, then the newspapers, there was a lot of family drama that the media really ate up on and was um, keeping everyone informed on that. But um, at that time... Mr. Robinson was out of the country on vacation, and no comment was going to be made. And I never did find the resolution to it, but, you know, we had the Harrison Act that had happened, and with the ingredients of cocaine and everything, it would have been very difficult for another company to establish, um, to start 
making that medication. Probably, huh? Interesting. That is, uh, huh? Well, sadly, uh, Mr. Jago ends up moving out to California, and did he die in a plane crash too? Um, no, but he was in a nursing home, and his bedding caught fire, and so he actually burnt to death. Okay, that's terrible. It was terrible. Wow. I wonder if he was smoking in bed. I wonder that as well. But there was actually, you know, they did get the majority of the residents out of the nursing home, but he did pass away from his injuries. And again, that was a little nugget that was shared with me from Stan Seip. <laughs> wow. Again, Stan Seip always uh, sharing some fun uh, knowledge for us, and we thank Stan for that. Uh, On this day in 1943, August 1st, Operation Tidal Wave, the U.S. forces attempt risky air raid on Axis oil refineries. Wanted to share that as one of the uh, cool things that happened uh, back in this day in history. And then in 1961 on this day, the first Six Flags opens in Texas. 1981, MTV launches. Do you remember MTV launching? I do, actually, yes. When it, you know, was a music, music television. Videos, yes. Yeah, music videos. Um, I can remember when they showed that, and then they switched to that, what was it? Um, oh, what is the name of that show? VH1? No, they had, um, it was a TV show, and they had, it was like, not real, it wasn't Real Housewives, but it's Real World. That's what it was called on MTV. I can remember that. Um, I'm trying to look, I'm looking here. There's not really much else that goes on, um, on this day in eight in 1498, Mike was there, um, with Christopher Columbus when he landed in South America. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible, (laughs) a terrible look here. And on August 1st, 1944, Anne Frank writes her last diary entry, which was later found, um, by Meep and um, given to her father and uh, published. Absolutely, yes. um, Last little fact, um, Mr. Robinson, Gerard Robinson, was the, he was actually the chairman who who selected the location of the current Monroe County Hospital in 1949. Really? And he and Mr. Benton were on the, they were members of the staff of the first hospital in 1952. Interesting. Um, Let's see here. Well, I think that might be it for our flashback. So should we uh, take it to the take it flash forward? Yeah, let me get uh, buckled in here. It's a rough ride. Warning. 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 Terrible, terrible puns ahead. Warning. 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 Okay, now for the best part of the show. Joey's got his book out. I was I was reading this one. I figured you would. Uh... Oh, you want me to start? Yeah. All right. You usually start. Well, did you know 90% of bald people still own a comb? They just can't part with it. Oh, my gosh. All right. Hang on. I got to hit this. There we go. Thank you. Thank you very much. Honestly, I didn't think that my father would steal from his job as a road worker but when i got home all the signs were there yeah well i don't know if i told you about it but when i was a kid i got hit by a camera i still have flashbacks it was kind of a negative event 
All right. I just want to give a shout-out to all of the sidewalks for keeping me off the streets. All righty. Well, you know, I have a friend who never finishes anything. He has a black belt in partial arts. <laughs> what did the nut say when it was chasing the other nut? I don't know. I'm a cashew. Oh, 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 oh. oh my. Well, I was driving to the airport to catch my flight when I, I saw this sign that said airport left. So I turned around and went home. I don't know why that stopped, but it did. All right. I think uh, that's enough terrible jokes. Oh, well, I want to tell you about this one. I want to warn you about when Angela gets a little bit older. When Angela gets older? Yeah. She's going to be just like her mother. Okay. Well, when women get to a certain age, they start accumulating dogs. This is known as mini paws. All right, folks. On that note. Um, because Kevin is officially shaking his head. I'm getting ready to shake my head. I think that it's officially time for us to say goodbye for the week. Be nice to each other. Be kind to each other. You never know who's fighting a battle. Take care. Ta-ta.